Welcome to Radio KAL, the Superman podcast brought to you by supermanhomepage.com. This is uh, show number 62, released on February 24th, 2010. Uh, my name is Steve Eunice, and joining me is a very angry Neil Bailey. Hey, Steve. How you going? I'm a Red Lantern now. <laughs> How many rings have you got on? Uh, I think just the red, but I've got three of them. You know, I'm like doing the parallax thing, but with the Red Lanterns. Very good, very good. Well, uh, we've got a lot to talk about uh, this show. Uh, there's lots going on. And um, before we get into the Smallville stuff that was really uh, cooking your goose at the moment, uh, <laughs> let's uh, talk about the big news from DC Comics and DC Entertainment with the announcement of their new executive team uh, with Jeff Johns, Dan Didio, and Jim Lee all taking on new roles, new new um, responsibilities. It's pretty crazy, isn't it? Yeah. Well, what do you make of it? I, th- I think it's pretty, you know, I, I like it, actually. Um, I, I know that... Uh, that Didio, I, I, a lot of people can't stand the guy. I've tended to, to like a lot of what he's done with the direction. I mean, there have been some notable exceptions, but for the most part, I'd say it's 80-20. Um, you know, with Final Crisis being most of 20. <laughs> That's not so much Didio. Um, Johns is, is obviously a guy who understands where the universe is going. Um, I, I kind of wish that they had set it up and kind of taken a lot of the the architects from a couple of years ago and made them more of the kind of creative runners and had a little bit of a panel. But uh, I think Johns is going to be doing all right in that respect, and I think it's a good choice. Lee was the only one that kind of surprised me, and not necessarily because I don't like his work, because I greatly enjoy his work, but more like... um, if if you'll notice, a lot of the things that he's done in the past have been fraught by delays, you know, and by an inability to either get something done on time or get something in, you know what I mean? Mm. Um, and yet he's kind of taking a managerial capacity, which kind of baffles me. Maybe, but for all I know, I don't know what's going on. Maybe he was always late because, you know, some family emergency or whatever. Um, well, but I, I admire his work, so I think he, he he's good for what he does. Yeah, so. well, let's look at uh, what their positions are. Um... As the announcement said, uh, Jim Lee and Dan Didio have been named co-publishers of DC Comics, and Jeff Johns will serve as chief executive, chief, sorry, chief creative officer of DC Entertainment. Now, right. Jim Lee has obviously been very, very involved with the DC Universe online MMO that's about to come out in 2010, and obviously has a very good understanding of the DC Universe as a whole uh, because of his work there, and obviously so does Dan Didio, and, and Jeff Johns, well... Really, this just is a title that's uh, of something he's really been doing all along. Uh, yeah, pretty much. Know, he's been the creative officer going on with DC Comics for a while now, and you know, he's branched out into Smallville with uh, you know the, the double episode of uh, Absolute Justice and the season before with his um, Legion episode. So you know he's branching out into many areas. He was originally Richard Donner's uh, assistant, so he's got his finger in a lot of pies in regards to comics. TV and movies, so um, and he and he's got the DC universe at heart. So you know that's a it's a good move on behalf yeah, I think of DC Comics. I think it'll be pretty cool. I I, I really do, and I think uh, I like the idea that there's um, like they were talking about location being a thing because Lee is based wasn't it San Diego and Dio is based in New York. So you've got two major f- people across the country who can kind of take care of uh, kind of fan interaction to a degree. Yeah. Um, yeah, so Sorry. it's a it's a big thing. It's a, a dream team, according to Diane Nelson, who's the head of DC Entertainment. It'll be interesting to see just how uh, how far they move forward now that they, this executive team has been put in place, with the addition, obviously, of John Rood, who's now named Executive Vice President, Sales, Marketing, and Business Development, and Patrick Col- Calden, 
who will serve as Executive Vice President Finance and Administration. So obviously there is a you know um, some business acumen behind these decision making these decisions being made, and um, as well as the creative aspect of those guys. Uh, that we know of. So uh, let's see them move forward. Let's see some announcements made in regards to the DC properties being made into films other than Green Lantern, which we know is going ahead, but uh, and, a, and a third Batman film as far as we know. But um, exactly what's happening with the Superman movie is what we're going to start talking about now. Uh, there was a announcement or really a rumor that went around, started by um, Deadline.com, who said that Christopher Nolan who, as we know, is the director of the of Batman Begins and the Dark Knight, was uh, supposedly coming on board to mentor or God, in a Godfather role for a new Superman movie. He wouldn't actually be directing the film; he'd be overseeing the the pre-production and the you know the, the script, and uh, and that was well received by everyone. No, no, no. See, Martin Scorsese had the only Godfather role in a Superman movie. <laughs> all right, I'm here all week. <laughs> well, actually. Um, uh, the writer of The Godfather did the script for Superman the movie, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. Isn't that... Is, well, oh, no, I'm thinking Francis Ford Coppola. I got him backwards. Oh, no. Pop culture reference <laughs> fail. Womp, womp. Well, uh, <laughs> but well, I, I still think it's cool. Yeah, well, that's the thing. Diane Nelson has come out and said, look, it's only a rumor. We don't talk about rumors at this point in time. So, you know, um, make of that what you will. So... Rather than actually confirm it or deny it, she's more kind of denied it, saying it's only a rumor. There is no real truth to it that we're going to actually give you any uh, heads up on. So, but wait for further announcements in the coming months. So, you know, uh, kind of rain on our parade when people are cheering. Oh yes, we've got some, you know, got Christopher Nolan coming on Superman. Now she's saying, uh, well, you know, it's only a rumor. Don't really believe it, kind of thing. Yeah, it'd be kind of tough for him to do two franchises at once, I'd bet. I think he, I think he might do a good Superman, though. It's like uh, Brian Singer kind of turned from a, a, a serious, darker comic book franchise and did Superman. So, I don't know. I think I think it can be done, um, even though, it, you know, Superman Returns was arguably a dark movie. But Yeah, well, you know, we don't want to see a dark Superman. We want to see maybe a dark film where Superman is the light and the brightness that overcomes a dark situation. But... Uh, you know that's uh, remains to be seen exactly what you know what they do with the movie, what direction they take. Uh, but the Chris Nolan thing, just a rumor at this point in time. No truth to it as far as Diane Nelson is concerned, or she's not actually saying one way or the other. You know she's not confirming it. So, uh, but she did say that there will be further announcements, some exciting announcements in the coming months. Stay tuned. Uh, we hope Superman's amongst those announcements. Um, you know, with guys like Jim Lee, Dan Didio, and, and Jeff Johns on board. Uh, let's hope they're pushing for Superman. So uh, we want to see a new Superman movie, whatever direction they take. Uh, we'll wait and see what happens there. Absolutely. Why are we getting a Green Lantern movie and not a Superman movie? You know, I like Green Lantern, and I'm really eager to see this movie. But it's like, why aren't they developing all the properties? Ah. Yeah, well, I guess the whether or not the legal dispute that's going on about Superman's rights is uh, an aspect as to why we haven't seen a new Superman movie. Uh, that remains to be seen. It's a very, very complicated issue, and mm-hmm. neither you or I are, you know, e- uh, legal eagles to be able to uh, talk about that in any, um, you know, real sense because we just don't understand it. A lot of the fans think they, they don't understand it. Uh, it's really, it's just, it's, it's something that we'll just have to wait and see how that pans out because it's a very complicated issue and there's a lot riding on it. It's been going for years now, and 
who knows how much longer it will continue to go on. Agreed. Okay, but what we do have on the horizon, well, actually, it's out now, is Justice League Crisis on Two Earths, the new uh, original DC animated movie released on DVD and Blu-ray. Um, we will be having reviews up on the website very, very shortly, if not already by the time you're listening to this. So, uh, Justice League Crisis on Two Earths. Cool. I think I'm, I'm looking forward to getting it. I'm, I'm going to check it out. I, I think it's uh, one of those ones that I'm not going to let pass. There are a couple of the... A couple of the movies that have gone along that I'll see with friends if they're watching it, but uh, this is going to be one I definitely hunt down. Yep, it was released on February 23rd, so uh, get out now, purchase Justice League Crisis on Two Earths. Uh, it looks to be a good one, and from some of the reviews I've seen already, um, you know, people are giving it pretty good reviews. So uh, Justice League Crisis on Two Earths, available now on DVD and Blu-ray. Go get it. All right, here we go. Smallville... Um, we will get to your your real pet peeve at the moment. Uh, Atrocitus demands it! But let's touch first on Absolute Justice, the two-hour telly movie written by Jeff Johns, the second half of it directed by Tom Welling himself. What did you make of Absolute Justice That um, for people who didn't read your lengthy review? I, I enjoyed it. I thought that uh, it was a, a, a very good episode, not a, not a perfect episode. I think what kept it from being perfect was... The fact that it tried to cram everything in the kitchen sink in in terms of fan service, but that's just because when Jeff John comes to a thing, Jeff Johns comes to a thing, he tries to fix it, and he tried to do that with Smallville, kind of not realizing that the wheels have kind of come off and it's kind of skittered down the street a little bit, and you got to get a jack before you get it moving again. But um, it was uh, it was pretty darn good in terms of the first time where I felt like I was watching superheroes on the screen, really, on the show. Even Justice, like, the outfits looked kind of hokey and the plot was kind of incoherent. But um, Absolute Justice, I really felt like I was watching a comic book show. And it was really, really cool that way. And the uh, fights were pretty well done. Um, I didn't realize that was... Was it Gerard Christopher in that episode? No, it wasn't. Uh, someone well, said that, you know, it was him walking by in the in the uh, red jacket and blue shirt or whatever it was at the convention it was not gerard christopher oh, okay. as far as i know uh, oh okay it wasn't i was even curious the first superboy um james uh, what's his name uh, hames newton uh, yeah right john hames newton but uh yeah i don't think they would belittle themselves to be put in such a small walk-on <laughs> role um as such and the guy who did walk past was a lot younger looking i mean these guys are now in their 40s so i got mail about that you know i was like i was wondering it's like did they throw in absolutely everything in the kitchen sink it's like and look i'm on a horse if you've seen that advertisement from old spice you know <laughs> well i mean the guy that walked past clark at the convention looked younger than clark and these guys were played superboy in the 80s so you right know, really they're going to be pushing late 40s right you'd think so well, <coughs> yeah i don't think that was uh either of them and um mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, from, from my point of view, Absolute Justice, yeah, it was pretty good. It was great to see those costumes and those characters. And, you know, I thought the, the plot was a bit clunky in part. It seemed to kind of plot along. Um, didn't really flow that great. But, um, you know, all in all, it, you know, it was great to see Clark realize that, you know, these heroes had been before. And I thought the casting was spot on. You know, I really enjoyed uh, seeing Michael Shanks as Hawkman. Um, I just, you know, some of the special effects are, were a bit underdone you know hawkman flying over metropolis was you know very kind of lame zooming you know no flapping of the wings kind of thing Mm -hmm. yeah um but uh, overall it was enjoyable it was uh entertaining and uh you know i think it 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 did its job 
I think Fate, you know, is probably my favorite part. Although, you know, it's like, it, 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 I think that in terms of costumes, Stargirl actually turned out the best. Yeah. I, I don't know why. It just seemed to really work for me, but... And speaking of costume, I like what they did with um, John John's Martian Manhunters Yes, costume. he was actually the Martian Manhunter for the first time on the show. You know, yeah, it's we like, saw a bit of like, green skin with a bit of red eye yeah. flash, but we saw, the, you know, the, the crossing of the, of the harness thing across his chest it looks very similar to his comic book costume. Yeah, it was it was it was very very it was super retcontastic. It was like that <laughs> moment where like Jor was it in uh, I think it was Legion last year where Jor El kind of like was uh, was it I'm not sure if it was Le- where where Jor El was like yes okay so this was he retcons all of his crazy actions by saying yes well this was this was not me uh, da, da 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 you know um, and they just kind of did that with the Martian Manhunter well yeah okay uh, uh, now I have access to all of my Martian powers and I am the Martian Manhunter ta da and now we'll never see him again. <laughs> Well, that's the same thing with Clark Kent's glasses. You know, we had an episode where he's, oh, Lois, I've got a secret, and, you know, I've got stigmatism, whatever it is, and he puts right. on the glasses, and then we've never seen it <laughs> since. Yeah, yeah. And, and, perfect and... opportunity to start wearing the glasses, and yet, bleh, sorry. Yeah, right. Uh, you know, it's like, uh, okay, you got a black shirt on, completely different guy. I can, I can buy the fact that a man can put on glasses and be a totally different man. I am completely fooled by this because I am a fanboy. But you change from a blue shirt to a black shirt, that ain't going to fool me. <laughs> All right, well, uh, let's move on to what everyone's been waiting to hear, your oh, rant about Clark's destruction of Zod's towers. Oh, yes. Um, well... Uh, I have uh, well, before, been a hang fan... On, hang on, hang on a sec. Bef- sure. let's, let's preface this with telling everyone which episode it happened in, just so that we, there's no confusion. We're talking about episode 14, um, Persuasion, of season 9, where uh, Clark Kent uses his heat vision to destroy Zod's Twin Towers, Solar Tower, uh, which is going to, at the next dawn, the sun will turn the sky red, Solar... Energy will be go from yellow to red. Clark will lose his powers, and Zod's Kandorians will all gain powers. Correct? Correct. Absolutely okay. correct. It was now, a it was a plot constructed so that those towers had to be destroyed. Destroyed. That's inarguable, and I got no problem with that. Um, what I what I object to is that I watched that show, and in about three minutes flat, the Superman slash Clark Kent of Smallville was sullied forever for me. Um, basically what you have is Superman in black on top of a building, uh, using his heat vision to cause twin towers to fall towards screaming reporters with the blasts being to the mid to top levels of the buildings. Um, and in, in Metropolis, which is an analog for New York, generally speaking, there have been a lot of things that compare it to New York. It's got a lot of topography that's, that relates it to New York. Well, in Superman the movie, it was New York. Right, exactly, and um, they, they were the tallest buildings on the skyline. Yeah. There was uh, even outside of the nine eleven reference, there there were a lot of uh, many different ways that was out of character for any Superman that you might ever know. It occurred on a scene after where, at the age of what he would be twenty three now, he basically was going to kill Tess Mercer. He was going to murder somebody for, for, for something, and he would have if it hadn't been for Chloe hit him, hitting him with kryptonite. And I realized that that's not Superman, and it could never be Superman. That okay. was the well, line. In reference to the testing, obviously he was under some kind of a hypnosis of his own gem kryptonite pe- pixie right. dust thing. So right. the kryptonite yeah. obviously killed off that 
you know that persuasive idea of needing to kill Tess. Sure. So, uh, oh yeah, it could have it could have been a Zod suggestion. Are you saying? Or? Well, that's what they kind of indicated because the kind of when she brought the kryptonite into the scene, his uh, eyes flashed with that purple thing, and right. he looked up as if confused, as to think, "Oh my God, what was I about to do?" Because he realized right. that it was he was under the same hypnotic state that Chloe had been under, that Lois had been under, that Zod had been under. So sure. I think that's how that. Uh, I can even. You know, I can even concede that it could, but see that you know, like the tower scene is what got oh, me. Oh yeah, well he was um, no, not under any any hypnotic suggestion. Yeah, at that, there was at no, that there was no, fr- you know, he didn't look for survivors. He could have taken it apart brick for brick. There's a million different ways he could have done that. And I'm not one who gets offended. You know, like I know I this is a moment of total seriousness here because in a lot of my reviews I will act like there's a big blue vein bulging in the middle of my forehead, and that is that is theater to a degree. That is writing. That is me crafting something to try and be the fanboy, to, to write something that will catch your attention because that tends to work. That tends to drag people in and think, oh, he's having a coronary talking about this. This is interesting. And it works. It's 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 a trope of either fiction or even nonfiction essays. But right now I am I, I have spent the last weekend so seriously hacked about this that I could spit tax, and the reason being I've seen Superman destroy Twin Towers. It is forever and irrevocably damaged Superman for me. I, I feel like those people who were watching Superman Returns and were like, I can't ever watch another Superman thing ever, which is a foolish, foolish way to be, and I'm going to continue to enjoy Superman, and I'm going to, to, to look at him in other mediums, but I believe that pretty much ends Smallville for me as a viable entity. I was I, I'm I'm not a guy like when when the when the World Trade Center towers fell, um, I, my first impulse was to disregard it entirely and move on with my life, not to forget the loss or the death or the destruction. But that day, I went shopping, and the reason I did that is because the whole message of terrorism that is that it's going to change your mindset, it's going to change your way of life, it's going to make you afraid to enjoy the things you once enjoyed. That's not what this is about, necessarily. This is uh, basically, without irony, without some deeper story purpose, putting Superman in the position of terrorists. And it's not. it, it could have been any terrorist attack associating him with. And there have been times when he's blown up buildings before. There's been a, the warehouse that he smashed Doomsday into, and there's been the arguably terrorist thing he did with the Justice League where he blew up one of Lex's warehouse for, well, warehouses for a cool moment. That is bad storytelling, but I can forgive it, in that it wasn't two towers on the skyline of an analog of New York being blasted in the mid-to-top level fours before imploding on screaming reporters. That is a very big, very important, very different distinction that, that lends it a seriousness that is almost criminal in the way that they were either ignorant or trying to be faux-hip and failing. Um, it's something that that takes Superman and puts him in a position he should never, ever, ever be in. Um, and and, it, and it, it is kind of without some kind of drastic opening scene at the beginning of the next episode where he is horrifically grease struck at this awful thing he's done or where it says, oh, I jumped right in there and I saved everybody and I took all the dust and I put it away and, and, and I made sure that the implosion was safe. Without that, I'm pretty much bar none done with supporting Smallville in any way. And I've been a fan through thick and thin. I don't get offended, but I am utterly just annihilated by this scene. And it was a scene in a larger episode. You look at it, and, and I hate to, to ramble here, but 
they are choosing to tell a story. And when you choose to sell a story, you choose the elements. Um, like, for instance, Red Sun. It was a very conscious choice to put Superman in the role of a bad guy. And they did it with the stated goal of, or, and, and Mark Miller did it with kind of the stated goal of looking at Cold War Russia and the context of what a hero is and a hero isn't in Americana. This was not that. This was just a bad story choice. And, and, and I know that it's going to get letters that have people say, hey, you know what? Um, that tower had to be destroyed. But this is going to be missing the point that they chose to put this tower in the story. They chose to put twin towers in this story that had to be destroyed and make Zod the owner of those towers. Those were all things that could have been done any other way. They could have had a small device that Superman could crush in his hand that wouldn't be twin towers being hit with heat vision. And then rant over. That's it. That's, that's you know, but I'm sorry. I have the red lantern rings on for this one, and I'm just so... Oh, I'm so upset about this, and right. I don't get that way. You know me, Steve. Yeah. Like, I will joke about the red vein, but this is I, – I don't get offended. I'm offended by this. Okay. Well, yeah, you're usually the one giving the offense rather than taking offense. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I'm usually the one making people angry and threatening to kill me. But at this point, like, I, I, I'm seriously like the, the, like the school marm who's like, oh, no, I heard the F word on that show. I want them to be fine. That's not what I'm saying. You shouldn't stop watching Smallville if you don't agree with me. You shouldn't write a letter or can't. They should have the right to do whatever they want to do on their show. But I think personally, I am done with Smallville, yep. barring some major miracle. Okay, well, I mean, that's your opinion, and you're entitled to it. And, you know, people are entitled to disagree with it. Um, I don't disagree with you. I haven't necessarily taken the offense um, or the angle of the 9 11 parallel that you have. Um, I can see that, and I can understand that totally um, without, uh, with, you know, without any qualms whatsoever. Um, my qualms, my the, the the problem that I had with it, and having seen the episode in full, is that uh, in story it doesn't make sense for Clark Kent to destroy such a huge building, and with the ramifications that it will have, um, you know, for the city, for the people in the surrounding areas. We know from having seen two huge towers topple in reality, what destruction that can have on the surrounding area, and you know it takes. A, a highly um, skilled de- demolition team to bring down a building with minimal um, effect on the on the surrounding areas, and what Clark's done there in that episode is, uh, you know, tantamount to just total wanton destruction. Um, yeah. It yeah, he's just he's par- It's just it's just crazy because the, the we know that Clark and Lois were able to walk up to the edge of that construction site and she stood on his shoulders and had a look over the fence and within meters of that there was a guy bringing out his rubbish from a, a, a restaurant or whatever he was that bringing out his rubbish to the back alley they walked around that through that alley and came out onto a street filled with people um, having dinner on an outside street re- like you know street side restaurant uh, people you know there were fairy lights across the street cars driving by it's a popular area bringing a building like that down in such a populated area, is only going to cause destruction for blocks in every direction. There's going to be a cl- ash and dust cloud from the buildings toppling down. It's going to spread for blocks in 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 every direction. Um, you know, we've seen in reality what kind of that, what kind of uh, effect that can have on a city. Um, you know, psychologically as well as economically and um, structurally. Um, you know. He did, that's it's an irresponsible thing to do. 
it's it's one of those things um, where I know we're going to get letters. Well, maybe the JLA cleared the building in the surrounding area, or maybe he phoned in a bomb threat, or maybe. But you know, it's yeah. There were press there. There were press there. The area was not abandoned. That's right. Um, it and, was. Know, people are going to say it's just a story. It's just Smallville. Get on with it. It's right. not real life. But right. you know, you can't. You, you, let's be serious here. You know, you can't just take one thing and and say, "Oh, this is this," and then take another thing and say, "Oh, but no, it's only a story." Like, really? Yeah. Well, you know, if it's, you want to, if you want to believe this story, if you want to try to set it in a type of reality, and this is what Smallville was always trying to do, was you know, show Clark Kent becoming Superman in in a, a real sense, in in a real life sense, you know, growing up and all the impacts that it would have. You know, there 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 is a suspension of disbelief that can go so far. Oh, it can go it can go incredibly far. You know, like I can sit there and be like, he can accidentally kill someone, and it's bad storytelling, but I'll be okay with it. He can, uh, you know, like like the the sex with uh, before marriage issues, the whole using Lois Lane as a stripper. You know, these are all story choices that, yeah, maybe they're bad story choices, but you can see how you they'd use them to get ratings, and it was okay. It's it's not like like the example I use in the review that I'm very that I'm very. Um, that I'm very pleased with because I think it conveyed it very well would be if like if Superman had to destroy a a, a buttload of American battleships in in Pearl Harbor in 1955 because they were Zod's battleships and he just completely destroyed and crippled the harbor and there were no soldiers in the uh, in the uh, in the ships so that makes it okay you know it, it, there are certain things that you can't do in a show without baggage that you'd have to know we're creating certain baggage. And and there are very few things you can do to sully the character with me. It's like having Batman shoot somebody, you know, shoot somebody to death would sully Batman for me. Or having, having uh, you know, like, like Superman smack Lois Lane, I think, was an example I used. You know, like have him just belt her across the face and say it because she disagrees with him. You know, that kind of thing. There are certain lines that you just don't cross. And even outside, Wally... The context of 9/11, having Superman take down buildings like that, um, or, or or still to be threatening to kill. So I don't know. Maybe that maybe that was mind control. But there, the, it just feels like it, it doesn't feel like Superman. Yeah, and yeah, we, it will remain to be seen whether or not the destruction of those buildings is actually brought up in any real context in following episodes. Because yes, we will know that Zod will obviously be. PO'd at having his towers destroyed and, you know, not being able to gain his powers. But what about the rest of the Metropolis? How will they see the destruction of these towers? Will it be reported in the Daily it, Planet? Will It just occurred to me. Uh, sorry, I, I don't mean to interrupt. But no, it just okay. occurred to me, too, that, that Zod killed somebody that episode, too. Yeah, he did. He shot uh, one of his followers. Of course, he shot somebody in, in the chest, and, and Clark stood by while that happened. He didn't want it to happen, and but afterwards he didn't put Zod in any kind of jail. You know, um, there's a moral barometer that's missing now. Yeah. I think. Yeah, I don't. No, know. I see what you're saying. Yeah, he, okay, he wasn't there when he shot her, but uh, he knew. He found out later on when Zod was, um, you know, under the under his spell that yeah, he he did shoot her and like um, put it in another context. You know, they're excusing it because Zod's a villain, but say Chloe. Well, actually, this did happen. Remember, Lana killed her. No, no, it was Chloe. Chloe killed somebody last season. To protect Clark's secret, and that's just kind of forgotten. You remember, like, like the, yeah. what, what was it? The uh, and maybe she was under the influence of Brainiac. Who knows? I don't know. But this this kind of this kind of ground where it's like it's okay to kill someone as long as it protects the main characters. 
You know, yeah, I know what you're saying it's it's a yeah the moral compass is, is gone out the window, and um, yeah it's a TV show yeah it's fictional, but you know this is the character that uh, you know we all love and you know we you know he stands for a certain thing. We're not talking about Indiana Jones. We're not talking about you know um, Luke Skywalker. We're talking about a character who stands for you know a, a particular thing. Not ki- you know has a no killing um, right you know uh, thing in his in his in the way he operates, um, even even Green Lantern or Green Arrow is killed before in the comics, you know, and yeah. that's that's to a degree a shade of gray. Superman and Batman have clear no kill codes, you know. That's a, that's a, exactly right. Well, I think we've ranted about this. We'll, yes, we'll, we'll see. And thank you for indulging me. <laughs> we'll just we'll see how this pans out. Whether or not destruction of these towers, uh, these towers does have any ramifications beyond Zod's personal feelings. Um, for Metropolis and uh, the way it's explained, because you know, if it comes out that the Blur destroyed these buildings, that tarnishes the Blur's uh, re- reputation. Absolutely. All right. Well, the last thing we'll talk about Smallville is the fact that there's still no word on the tenth season as of this recording of this episode. Uh, the CW has renewed a number of shows, uh, but Smallville isn't amongst them at this point in time. Uh, there are, you know. Point is showing that it might well be renewed, uh, but I guess um, we'll probably hear something definitely before May uh, when their uh, renewals are, you know, uh, announced. So we'll wait. What to would see. you put? What would you put the odds at? You think sixty forty in favor of renewal? I guess at this point in time. Yeah, that's about my inclination too. Looking at the scuttlebutt. Okay, well, uh, we'll wait and see if Smallville does get renewed for a tenth season. But I did see that the Smallville writers on Twitter were saying that. They're uh, throwing together ideas for the finale for this season. So uh, whether or not they've got any word on whether Smallville will be picked up for a 10th season or not uh, is interesting for the fact that they are looking at writing the finale as we speak. Okay, moving on to comic books. Uh, We're heading into the War of the Supermen. War of the Superman. Yes, this is this is where I'm presuming everything falls to hell, which I'm I'm actually eager to see how they handle it. Yeah, well, you know, um, the World of New Krypton 12 issue miniseries has come to an end. Uh, we're about to uh, move into the War of the Superman after the last stand of New Krypton, uh, which will obviously be a culmination of exactly what's going on while uh, Kal-el has been a general in uh, Zod's army on New Krypton. Uh, there's obviously a lot of things coming to a head with General Lane, you know, wanting to, uh, you know, dis- destabilize Zod's control of New Krypton and trying to infiltrate, uh, you know, his uh, his stronghold there. Uh, there's a lot of stuff going on about this upcoming war. It's, as Matt Idelson said, it's the worst kept secret in comics for the fact <laughs> that there is a war coming. Uh, it's been building for a while and it's about to culminate in a huge world war between two worlds in fact it feels like uh, kind of like what they tried to do with our worlds at war and kind of failed to a degree it seems like you've got two fronts on a galactic par that are just going to kind of go up against each other with brainiac in the middle you know um and and a brainiac that's kind of coherent and cool and and and, and i'm eager to see what they do yeah and lex luthor is in the mix obviously having yes brainiac so that's fast you know, uh, sure. You know, Sam General Sam Lane has been the baddie for a while now. You know, he's been behind the scenes just doing stuff that is, you know, beyond belief as far as you know the stuff that he's done to his own daughter Lucy, and you know, now yeah. that he's Superwoman again, and we've got. Uh, Did you, you read know, that last issue? Yeah. Uh, you know, oh, that was pretty gnarly. Yeah, exactly. 
she's you know obviously uh, just uh, got a few screws loose there with her new powers and um, you know just everything that's going on just it's it's really you know he's Sam Lane has been the baddie but you know you got to think about what Lex Luthor has been doing behind the scenes and off camera so to speak with Brainiac and what plans they have in place there and how their input is going to just be the catalyst for this war to take off. I think that, you know, if it were any other people, I'd think they were just holding Brainiac and Luthor as trump cards, but I do believe that there's plans with Jeff Johns. That would be my guess, because he just, he, he sets, he lays the ground, and if he's got a couple of years to plan and a little bit of freedom, he does awesome stuff. So Yeah, and we've also got, uh, you know, what is Supergirl going to be doing? Uh, you know, we've just had her 50th issue, and um, it was a pretty good issue. There was a, a side story written by uh, your mate Jake Black. Yeah, and Jake Black. With Helen Slater. Who yep. played Supergirl and in the movie, and also played uh, Lara in Smallville, and um, yeah, I mean Supergirl. Where do her um, allegiances lie? You know, she's obviously disappointed with what's happened between her and Lana, and Lana having lied to her for so long, and obviously is uh, torn between her place at her mother's side in New Krypton and her place as Supergirl and Kara as and uh, and you know her allegiance to Superman and Earth. They're treating her like a character, which is one of the first times I've seen that in a long time. They're actually, I don't know if they're necessarily developing every issue, but I actually identify with and am enjoying Supergirl for the first time. I, I read the low run because I knew it had ramifications more than necessarily I was enjoying it incredibly. And this is a Supergirl comic I'm enjoying. Like, I'm having a really good time reading. So, yeah, so it's very cool. It is, it is. And, um, yeah, you know, we've kind of bided our time... Uh, with uh, you know Monel and uh, Nightwing and Flamebird, but I think you know having done so, it's going to pay off because just exactly how they play into this war, uh, you know, obviously wouldn't have paid off as much if they weren't fleshed out characters as they have now become. Yeah, I'm digging the uh, the, the the use of Jaxer. Actually, I'm I'm, I'm enjoying it, and the uh, the one that they did recently um, where it was. Um, the the text kind of text based but defining the gods of Krypton in the way that Rao and uh, yeah. Nightwing and and Flamebird work together and there there's a really well thought out history there it's very cool yep all right uh, the other comic book that's kind of not tying in is usually it's actually gone back in time uh, to the our worlds of war uh, story that you <laughs> mentioned is the Superman <laughs> Batman comic written by Joe Casey and it's uh, it's quite interesting. Uh, you know, I I have I've scanned it, but I couldn't I couldn't muster up the interest to, to uh, pick it up. What are you enjoying about it? Well, it's yeah, okay, it's it is tied into the our worlds at war story of, of a couple of years ago, but it's done in a way that you don't actually have to remember too much about what happened there. Um, it's kind of a standalone story in itself, and just the interaction and and the um, between Superman and Batman and and what's going on with this. Um, Gaines, uh, Anderson Gaines' character is, uh, you know, he's a, a Durlin, uh, who is an ancient race that's obviously had some kind of vendetta against Kryptonians, and just the, you know, it's almost like the McCoy, you know, that old America, you know, uh, two villages, two families, you know, hating each other. The, uh, oh yeah, yeah, Montagues and Capulets. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, and, uh, yeah, so they've just got this vendetta. They don't remember what it is or where it started, but the Durlins and the Kryptonians just have this, you know, we've got to destroy each other (laughs) mentality, and we've always, you know, we've got to wipe each other out. 
And, oh, um, like a feud. Okay, yeah, all right. Feud, yeah. <laughs> Montague's Capulet. Oh, what was the name of that famous that famous feuding group? Oh, I know what you're talking about. You know, like the McCoys and. Oh, yeah, know. yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, it is the McCoys. All right. Uh, I was thinking Star Trek McCoy in my head. There oh, you go. No, Another pop the... culture reference. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, that's uh, it's interesting just to see how that all pans out, and it, it is a standalone story kind of thing. Although it does tie into the. You know, what how was happening at the time with our worlds at war, but um, yeah, it's pretty good for you know. Well, I guess I maybe I went in thinking Joe Casey and not expecting too much, but uh, you know, uh, well, it's it's not not too bad at all. So I'm enjoying that, it. That's been moment. a large part of my bias, but I'll give it a second chance because yeah. I trust your judgment. All right. The only other thing I wanted to talk about before we move on to the big question segment of the show, and it's not on our list of things that we were going to discuss, but it just happened that it's popped up uh, as we we're recording this episode is the fact that Action Comics number one sold for one million dollars. One million dollars! Yes, a copy yes. of Action Comics number one. Obviously a pretty good uh, addition if uh, if the report uh, obviously is true, and it is because of the fact that it's sold on um, this actually sold on February 23rd, I think, 22nd. Um, Copy uh, a 1938 edition of Action Comics number one sold for one million US dollars at comicconnect.com. The uh, buyer and seller were not revealed, uh, they both wanted to remain private, and um, it was obviously in pretty good nick. This Action Comics number one uh, version and uh, sold on Monday, February 22nd for one million dollars. The first comic book to smash. Uh, the one million dollar mark, and uh, it was only. So if you had, oh sorry. No, I was gonna say it was only earlier in the week that we heard that uh, the first Batman comic had outsold the price previously set by Action Comics number one, and within a week, Action Comics number one comes back and just smashes that out of the park and takes uh, the one million dollar mark. Do you think that if you had a million dollars to spare, like if you were uh, that rich, you would buy a copy? You know, it's hard to say. I guess it's all relative. If I had a million dollars just to throw away, um, would I be in that position? Pfft, who knows? You know, I mean, you know, Russell Crowe makes $20, $20 million per movie at the moment. Um, <laughs> if you had a $20 million paycheck and, and, and you could take a 20th of it and get, the, even say, you know, yeah, like the whole Superman, I probably would. Right? You know, I probably would. But uh, <laughs> I'd probably give a million away to charity at the same time saying that, yeah. you know. I mean, Yeah, I would, just... that, that'd be my thing. I'd have to have at least as much going into charity somewhere. <laughs> yeah, you don't, otherwise you'd feel like a, oh, I don't know, you know. It's, it's, it's really, it's hard to put yourself in that position if you're not in that position. We don't know what we'd do with that yeah. kind of money if we had it. Um, and good luck to the person who does have that kind of money to put into a comic book. I'm sure it's an investment because, you know, it, the price of the Action Comics number one just keeps going up and up. They're not making them anymore. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, Tell you. You know, well, if you want us to review it, just send a copy. <laughs> yeah, sure. I'll take donations. Anyone want a million? Send me a million dollars to buy Action right. Comics number one. Um, it'll probably be going up to two million by that stage. But anyway, uh, <laughs> I, will, I will open it, turn into Superman, and date Chloe. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's move into the big question segment of the show. <laughs> Let's start with the big question. All right, what do we get? Well, last month's question was, which character would you like to see on Smallville, whether it be an old character returning or a totally new character coming into the show? Uh, we had three responses, and let's uh, hear from the first one. First, we got Calvin Bowles, who wrote, 
Who would I like to see on Smallville? Superman! But I, but it don't look like we're going to get no Superman on the Superman show. So my next choice is Perry White as a permanent fixture on the show. Season 10 could be his big battle to take over the Daily Planet. That alone could make a good season. But not as a cameo, but as a permanent cast member. And after he takes over the planet, he could buy Clark some glasses and install a phone booth. But on this show, <laughs> I always get disappointed. Uh, Calvin. <laughs> sorry, <yeah>. Calvin. Yeah. <laughs> Nicely done. I'm so sorry. Nicely done. All right, David Cubbage wrote, to answer your big question, there is only one answer and probably the most common one you will get. Lex Luthor portrayed by Michael Rosenbaum. If Smallville gets a tenth, tenth season, Luthor has to return. No Dark Luthor crap a la season 8. No lame recast. No excuses. To me, if Rosenbaum doesn't return for at least the series finale, it won't matter to me if Welling is wearing the Superman costume or not. No Lex equals huge letdown. So to the CW I say, get a dump truck full of cash and back it up to Rosenbaum's house ASAP. Darth Luthor, I love it. That's a, <laughs> you know, that'd be a great spinoff. <laughs> anyway, Guthrie McLean wrote, Well, there is no one as of now who I'd like to see return to Smallville as a series regular, although I would love to see John Jones and Brainiac become series regulars on the show. Is that too much to ask for, guys? Michael Rosenbaum, sadly, has not expressed any interest in returning, but he better come back for at least the final five episodes of the series. Come on, Michael, you never have to shave your head again. If not, I'll make sure you stay bald for all eternity. Just kidding. Nice one, Guthrie. All right, so uh, two votes there for Michael Rosenbaum as Lex Luthor and one vote for Superman himself. Well, <laughs> let's move on to the, nig- the new big question. Uh, what is it? We have who should direct the next Superman movie and why? Mm, very interesting. Well, yes, there are a lot of directors out there who could take on Superman if they were willing, um, and there are a lot of names that you could throw about, but tell us why you think you would like to see that certain director come on board. Obviously, there'll be names like uh, Steven Spielberg, uh, who people would like to see. Uh, if that's your answer, why would you like to see him? Uh, whatever director you come up with, let us know who it is and why you think that would be good to direct a new Superman movie and get involved with the new Big Question segment of the show. You can do so by sending an email uh, with your response to the Big Question feedback form or you can also send in an MP3 player, record your answer, and we will play it in the next Superman homepage Radio KL podcast. So that's but the new be cautioned. Oh, yes. sorry. What's I was going to say, but be cautioned. If you say Michael Bay, we will send Darth Luthor. <laughs> so that's the big question segment for this month's show. The stage is set. His threat level is nearly off the scale. He can't be that bad. Lobo killed an entire planet of his own people. For a battle of heroic proportions. You hear something? And Superman and his companions prepare for a journey. The chariot will take you right to the crone itself. Thank you for your hospitality and your kindness. I... Into the depths of hell... Ground's moving. It's the Gron. She's... Dive down into the depths in Superman, The Last Son of Krypton, issue 62, on February 24th, 2010. Only at PendantAudio.com. Kara's troubles continue. This is getting old, Scorch. I finally get the time to hang out with some friends, and you have to go and set crap on fire again. 
Sooner or later, you're going to run out of stuff to burn. Don't bet on it. This is a pretty flammable town. And Kara's not the only one getting hit below the belt. You're an invincible, super strong, flying, teeny bopper, and you still need yourself a Ken sidekick. Hey, I ain't no sidekick. <laughs> Superman don't have a sidekick. I ain't no sidekick. A friendship hangs in the balance. When do I get to call the shots, huh? When you can wrap your thick head around the way things need to be done. Oh no, are you two still fighting? Don't miss Supergirl, Lost Daughter of Krypton, Episode 34. Coming February 24th at PendantAudio.com. I ain't no damn sidekick. Bailey's Bookshelf. Bailey! Michael Bailey returns with a new trade paperback that he's looking at, so let's hear what Michael has to say. Hey everybody, and welcome back to Bailey's Bookshelf, the feature here on Radio KAL, where I walk over to the bookcase here in the fortress of Baileytude, pick out a Superman trader hardcover to review, and give you the skinny on it. This month... This month I'm doing something a little bit different. Instead of picking out a trade or hardcover that prints, or or in most cases reprints, a Superman story or a series of Superman stories, I am taking a more pun intended novel approach to things. The Death and Life of Superman was the novelization of the Doomsday slash Funeral for a Friend slash Reign of the Superman story that came out in 1992 and 1993. The book, written by then-Action Comics writer Roger Stern, came out the same month as the finale of that storyline, and is a very faithful adaptation of the comics, as you would imagine one of the architects of that story would produce. In 416 pages, in hardcover at least, Stern retells the story from the comics, and manages to keep the epic feel of it, and add a lot of humanity and heart to it as well. There are some differences to be sure, but a lot of that comes from how the novel was written. Stern wrote the book while the story was unfolding, so he would work on the book for several weeks and then take some time off to write the next issue of Action Comics, so it makes sense that there would be some changes here and there because of the changes popping up in story meetings and such. The main reason that I am recommending you track this book down is that it distills not only the death and return of Superman into novel form, but pretty much that entire era of Superman as well. Stern goes over the history of Clark and Superman, at least the history from that era, the history of the Guardian, the whole Lex Luthor II thing that was going on, and introduces the entire cast of supporting characters and lets you know why, sometimes in just a few sentences, they are important. For some, uh, including Steve Eunice, if memory serves, uh, from him and I talking about this book, this novel served as an introduction to this era of Superman. And for someone like me, who was reading the comics as they came out, it served as a reminder of what made this time period so awesome. It also has a lot of heart. Uh, and, and, And you know what? Superhero prose is very hard to pull off, but Stern pulls it off in fine style, which is amazing considering that this was his first novel. Now, I will admit I am very biased about this book. 
Stern is my all-time favorite, no questions asked, Superman writer. So it is possible that I am too close to the material. Despite that, or I guess in spite of that, I wholeheartedly recommend this book. If you can, get the Barnes & Noble edition that came out some years ago. It's a soft cover, but it also contains new introductions by both Roger Stern and then-editor Mike Carlin, both of which give a lot of insight into that time period and into the creation of this book. So that's it for this month. Come back next month when I'll have another Superman trader hardcover to talk about. Maybe I'll tackle another Superman novel. I do have a few of those lying around here. Also, be sure to come back to the homepage every week to hear from Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast hosted by me and Jeffrey Taylor, where we cover, month by month, the Superman comics that came out between Man of Steel number 1 in 1986 and Adventures of Superman number 649 in 2006. And now, back to Stephen Neal. Well, thank you, Michael. That's another trade paperback review by Michael Bailey. Remember, if you've got a suggestion that you'd, for Michael of a trade paperback you'd like him to take a look at, uh, send it in to us and we'll pass it on to Michael or contact Michael directly yourself. Super Secret Soundbite. Oh, looks like we had a small list this month. Yeah, we didn't get too many people who uh, got it right from uh, last month's show. We actually only had one person uh, guess that the sound came from Visage the 11th episode of Season 2 of Smallville, and that one person was Brian Lee. So congratulations, Brian. You're the only person who got it right. We did have a few other responses, but uh, they were incorrect, so Brian was the only one who got it right. Uh, Let's see if Brian and a whole stack more, hopefully, uh, can guess which episode of Smallville this new sound comes from. If you're not lost, then get that way. I don't like smudge marks on my car. Well, if you think you know which episode of Smallville that sound came from, use the super secret soundbite entry form found at Radio KL webpage and send your entry in. Every person who guesses it right will have their name read out in the next Radio KL podcast. Have we ever had a, a month where nobody got it? No. No, we've always had somebody guess it right. I guess um, we have some very, very cluey Smallville fans out there. So uh, this week it was, uh, this month, sorry, it was Brian Lee who. Uh, Thank yeah, you. Season two is a fair way back, so uh, that's pretty cool for. Yeah, that's for, pretty good. You saved us from a, from uncomfortable silence. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. All right, uh, let's move into the Superman song segment. So, what do we got this month? Well, we've got a song from the 1960s. Uh, it's called Superman, and it's by a trio called Dino, Desi, and Billy. Now, these guys were a 1960s singing group featuring Dino Martin. Dean Paul Martin, the son, the son of singer Dean Martin, uh, Desi Arnaz Jr., actually Desi Arnaz IV, the son of television stars Desi Arnaz and Lucille Ball, and their friend friend Billy Hinch. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's kind of uh, funny. It's like, who are you? Well, I'm Dean Martin's son. And who are you? Hey, man, I'm Desi Arnaz's kid. Who are you? I'm Billy. <laughs> you know what like... Well... Actually, Billy Hinch has still got his own website going around, so I might put I might put him in touch with you. Oh yeah, no, he'll probably he'll probably kill me for saying that. I wasn't meant to, I wasn't trying to besmirch him. It just sounded funny, you know. It's like... <laughs> I know, I know. Well, <laughs> let's hear him. Let's hear. Him. Here is Dino, Desi, and Billy singing Superman. Look, it's the birds. No, it's some other group. It's an intercontinental ballistics missile. No, it's Superman. 
Budapest to Baltimore. It's Superman. His figure whirling around my brain. A creature science can't explain. It's not a bird. It's not a plane. It's For another month. Oh, I totally take it back, Billy. That was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Well, uh, yes, that's a show for another month. Uh, remember, if you've got a suggestion for a topic that you think Neil and I t- should discuss in a future podcast, is there a trade paperback you'd like Michael Bailey to, to talk about? Is there a song you'd like us to play? Maybe there's a big question that you'd like to suggest for us to ask in a future month. Well, you can use you can send in all those suggestions for us to use by clicking on the KAL feedback button found at the Radio KAL webpage. And Neil and I will try to use those suggestions in future podcasts. But for now, that's the show. Thank you, Neil. Thank you, Steve. And as uh, Clark Kent lamentably said while blowing up Twin Towers, caveat emptor. You've been listening to Radio KAL from supermanhomepage.com. <laughs>